As Pastor Gene mentioned, my name is Tito Torado, and I have the privilege of serving on staff at Coastal Church as one of the pastors. My area of emphasis is leadership development and men's ministry. Uh, I am a father of four and proud husband of Jeebum, which is my claim to fame, which he's back there. And um, a couple of things about pers me personally. I love sports, particularly contact sports. Are you, some of you, are you guys excited about the Super Bowl this evening, even though your team? I'm sorry for those of you who had plans for a tailgate party. I know the water mu must have put a kind of damper on that, so you may have to do your tailbot indoors. So, but um, I personally like uh, boxing, and I usually say to people, says, how can you lock, like boxing? It's two people trying to concuss each other, and I say, it's the same thing in football. We just take out the ball. <laughs> so, but Anyway, those are a couple of things about me. I've been coming to, my wife and I have been attending Coastal since 2017, and we are thrilled to be here to share the Word of God with you this morning. Listen, the topic of this morning's message is idolatry on display, and we're going to be looking at Exodus chapter 32, the entire chapter, verses 1 through 35. Before we go any further, can we have a word of prayer? God, I want to thank you for the opportunity to worship you in the preaching and teaching of your word. I ask you, Lord, to minister grace to the hearers. Lord, I pray that your word will go forth and accomplish that for which you have intended it to go forth. Lord, I ask that you would remove distractions from us, and I pray that you would give us the ability to receive with meekness your implanted word, which is able to save our souls. And as a result, Lord, let our lives be chained, challenged, informed, edified, but most of all, may your son Jesus be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, in the previous uh, weeks, last week, we talked a little bit about from chapters 25 through 29, we find that God is giving uh, Moses instructions for the tabernacle, which was a portable house of God or a portable way for them to worship. And he gets, gives them really specific instructions about the curtains, about the way the tabernacle is to be built and set up, even how to construct the furniture and who was to construct the furniture and how God was to be worshipped. And all this pointing to the fact that God wanted to dwell in their midst. God wanted to be in the midst of his people, which points us to the fact that God, through the Holy Spirit, lives inside of us, for the Bible says we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, that brings us to Exodus chapter 32, and I like to pick up the reading there at verse 1. When, Mo, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, this man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. 
So Aaron said, take off the earrings of gold that are in your ears, the ears of your wives, the ears of your sons and your daughters. Bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Moses had been in the mountain for 40 days speaking with God and receiving instructions and the commands of God for the people. The people became impatient and allowed themselves to be deceived by their own sinful thoughts. They were deceived into thinking that they could create a God of their own and worship God in their own way. So they say to Aaron, we don't know what happened to Moses. We need God to, gods to worship. Make us gods. Which brings us to point number one. Impatience will lead to poor decisions making. I like the way Proverbs 19.2 says it. It says, ignorant desire isn't good. Rushing feet make mistakes. That's the common English version. Not only did the people make a hasty and poor decision, but Aaron made a hasty and poor decision. So it's important to note that this, true, this is true for the leader as well as the followers. Their impatience not only caused them to want to worship a different God, but it caused them to want to worship God in a different way, which leads us to letter A. God has to be worshiped properly. We have glaring examples in the scriptures of what happens when people choose to worship God in their own way. We see in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, how David is attempting to bring the Ark of God, the Ark of the Covenant, back to Jerusalem, but instead of bringing it on the shoulders of the priest as it was prescribed in the law, he brings it on a cart. And as a result, the man who was driving the cart named Uzzah puts his hand on the ark and dies on the spot. David later reflecting on this said that they were worshiping God or they didn't do it, worship God in after the due order. We see the same example in Leviticus chapter 10, the sons of Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu. The Bible says that they offered up a strange fire. The word strange there is the Hebrew word zor, and it has the connotation of it, it, it being an unauthorized fire. And they too wound up paying for worshiping God in a way that he had not prescribed. God is to be worshipped in holiness. God is to be worshipped with an attitude of reverence. God is to be worshipped with singing. 
God is to be worshiped at times with raised hands. God is to be worshiped at times by clapping our hands. Other times we can worship God by kneeling before him. There are times that we worship God in our giving as we do through our tithes and offering. But most importantly, God needs to be worshiped with our lifestyle. Jesus is having a conversation in John chapter 4 with a Samaritan woman and the conversation turns to worship and Jesus makes this statement that those that worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, the next thing that we find in the narrative is that they brought the earrings of gold to Aaron who had requested it and he used the gold to fashion a golden calf. This is more than likely an idea borrowed from the Egyptians or the neighboring uh, countries like the Philistines and the Canaanites. He took their gold and made them an idol of, of a god of their own making for them to worship. Then he uttered, what I consider one of the saddest statements in the Old Testament. These are your gods, referring to the golden calf, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. He ascribed the glory and the power of the Egyptian deliverance to an idol. And here's an observation I'd like to make from this event. Something that was theirs, something that they brought, their gold, became their God. Something created became their God. Or if you want to say it differently, something created was worshipped as their creator. Paul alludes to this in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, when he says, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature or the creation rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. If we think about it, it's no different with us today. People worship the created rather than the creator. These Israelites worshipped a God of their own making. Something of theirs, their gold, became their God. If we're honest with ourselves, it's no different with us. We too can turn something of ours into an idol. Something like our ideas, Something like our preferences. Something like our personalities. Something like our rights. Something like our references and preferences. Our history. Our culture. We take it and we make it into a golden calf. And it turns into a god. It becomes an idol of the heart. Either way, it's idolatry. Idolatry is anything we hold more valuable than the true God 
in our hearts. In 1 Samuel 15, 23, the Bible teaches us that certain attitudes like stubbornness and presumption and arrogance is a form of idolatry. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, the Apostle Paul teaches us that greed or covetousness is idolatry. Speaking of idolatry in his book, The Gospel-Centered Life, Robert H. Thune writes, and I quote, All these idols are false saviors, promoting false gospels. Every one of these things, approval, control, reputation, success, security, pleasure, knowledge, recognition, respect, is something we already have in Jesus because of the gospel. Robert H. Toon postulates in his book that beneath every sinful act, there is a sinful belief, attitude, or affection. He also writes, and I quote, the gospel, the key to gospel-driven transformation is learning to repent of the sin beneath the sin. The deeply rooted idolatry and unbelief that drives our more visible sins, end quote. This brings us to letter A. We need to learn to repent of the sin beneath the sin. Uh, Richard Loveless uh, says it this way, it means untangling the complex web of compulsive attitudes, beliefs, and behavior that sin has created in us. Oh, I have to ask you a rhetorical question. As you get to know me, I ask a lot of questions and they are rhetorical. I hope you don't blurt it out. Do you know your own sins? Do you know the sins of your own heart? Have you done the introspective work to confess the sin beneath the sin? Oh, Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians, challenges, him, challenges them to do the same thing. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not know that Christ lives in you? 2 Corinthians 13, 5. But if we're honest, our introspection can be biased and short-sighted. And therefore, we need to pray like David prayed in Psalm 139, Search me, O Lord. Know me. See whether there be in me any wicked way and lead me to the everlasting path. Repenting of the sin beneath the sin. Now, let's see how the narrative progresses. Let's pick up our reading there in verse number five. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down, 
for your people, I like, I like the way he calls them your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. It's amazing how they believed that this feast was to the Lord. Uh, the Hebrew uh, word for Lord there is what in theology we call the tetragrammaton. It's the initials, the uh, for the not the initials, but uh, not the vowels, what the consonants for the name of God. Because the Hebrew writers reverenced the name of God so much that they left the vowels out. And so for centuries we have struggled to know the name of God. And so if you pronounce the vowels, it is pronounced Yahweh, which we pronounce it Yahweh. Some have pronounced it Yahweh. And so we have these different iterations because they reverence the name of God. And these Israelites, they took this feast offered to a golden calf and said, this is a feast unto the Lord, and they use the sacred name. And here we see Aaron proclaiming a feast to the Lord, and he built an altar, and the people cut loose. This brings us to point number two. Our actions are rooted in our beliefs, attitudes, and affections. I like the way the New King James and the King James and the ASV puts uh, Proverbs 23, verse 7, when it says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. John Maxwell once said, The sum total of a man's life consists of the thoughts that continually occupy his mind. It is astounding how deeply rooted their unbelief was. In fact, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 2, telling us that these people didn't enter into the, to the rest of God because of their unbelief. These people, after seeing the glory of God, turned aside and gave free reign to their passions. They committed all kinds of sin, including sexual immorality. Paul, commenting on this very passage, says these words in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. If you think about it, this is a natural progression. This is the outworking of us not paying attention to what's going on in our own hearts. This is what happens when our heart posture is not one of humility. This is what happens when our heart posture is not one of brokenness and dependence on Jesus. I like the way Proverbs 27, 19 says it. It says, as in water, face reflects face. So the heart of the man reflects the man. 
This is why Proverbs 4.23 says, guard or protect your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues or the wellspring of life. Now in verse 8, God speaks to Moses about the people and let's see what he says. Let's pick up the reading there in verse number 8. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that I might burn hot against them and that I might consume them in order that I might make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out? to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he's spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, the tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets, the Ten Commandments, which the Decalogue. Here we see the sacred text giving us a glimpse of God's holiness because God's wrath burns hot and he expresses to Moses exactly how the actions of the people have made him feel and what he intends to do to them. But we also see in Moses, a picture of Christ interceding for the people. Just like Moses came down from the mountain, Christ came down and took on human flesh. And later in this chapter, in verse 32, it says this, Moses speaking to God says, please let their sin be upon me. Forgive their sin, if not blot me out of your book. Which brings us to point number three. Christ is our eternal intercessor. We see a picture of Christ in Moses making intercession for the people. Not only so, but his willingness to bear the penalty for the sin of the people. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 25 teaches us that Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 5, the Bible teaches us that there is one God, 
and one mediator between God and man, the man, Jesus Christ. Jesus is our only way to God. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our only salvation. We are not saved by our good works. God's standard is that he is perfect. God's standard is that he is holy. God's standard is not that we are good people. The Bible says that we are by nature children of wrath. We have inherited sin. And so God, who is rich in mercy, he came down. He took on human flesh. He lived a perfect life according to the law. He died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins, was buried, placed in a tomb, and on the third day rose bodily again from the dead. So now when we repent of our sins, when we believe the gospel, the substitutionary death of Christ on the cross and the fact that he rose from the dead and we receive Christ into the life, we can be saved. Oh, I want to ask you today, and I have to ask you at this point, have you done that? Oftentimes, I meet people that have what I like to call heritage Christianity. My great-grandfather was a Christian. My grandfather was a Christian. My father was a Christian. I grew up in church all my life, and so that makes you a Christian. No, what makes us a Christian is the fact that we have repented of our sins and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ and received them into our lives, and we have evidence that the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, for we are saved by grace, that through faith alone we have been regenerated, we have been born again. Have you received him today? Are you saved today? Or is this something that your family has just been doing for generations? Are you leaning into him? Are you depending on him? Where do you glean your strength? Where do you glean your inspiration? Where do you glean your motivation? Where do you glean your power from? I like Paul's statement to the, to the Corinthians because it really speaks to the essence of the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, God says to him, my power is made perfect in your weakness. A broken and a contrite spirit he will not despise. Christ is desiring our brokenness. Christ is desiring our humility. Christ is desiring our dependence on him. For as Paul said in Acts 17, in him we live, in him we move, and in him we have our being. Are you leaning on the power of Christ or are you doing things in your own strength? It is not by might. It is not by power. It is by my spirit saith the Lord. So we see that Moses intercedes for them, but let's see how the story progresses in verses 17 through 29. So what I'd like to do with these verses, instead of reading verses 17 to 29, I'd like to summarize them from us, for, for us and then draw some points from it. In verses 17 through 29, we see Moses and Joshua come down from the mountain 
And the party, this party is so loud that Joshua thought that there was a war going on. And Moses had to explain, no, my friend, no, bro, it's not a war. It's a party, an ungodly party. And they come down and Moses was so angry that he throws the tablets, the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments of stone at the foot of the mountain and he breaks them, which, by the way, was the same thing that the people were doing. They were breaking the law of God, which they heard from the mouth of God themselves with their own ears in Exodus chapter 20. And what followed were some disastrous consequences for their sin. 3,000 men died. There was a plague. Aaron lied, which brings us to point number four. Idolatry will eventually have harmful effects or disastrous effects. Not too long ago, I had uh, the, the sad, the opportunity, to, which is a sad experience for me to walk uh, a friend through a uh, divorce. And in the process of walking with him and encouraging him and counseling him, I had the opportunity to sit down and talk to his now ex-wife and have a conversation with her. And I remember her saying to me, she says, I am unwilling to give up any male friends that I have prior to meeting my husband. I am unwilling to give up any male friends, even if they had romantic overtones or they, have, or they are romantically interested in me before I met you. She elevated her right to keep those friendships above the covenant of marriage. She elevated her right to stay in relationship with these people, even though she knew her husband didn't like it, to whom she made vows with, above obedience to the word of God and being in unity and walking in oneness with her husbands and the consequences were disastrous to their marriage. Sadly, they got a divorce. Now, let's read the last few verses, and then we'll close. Let's pick it up at verse 30. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make an atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned the great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will, forgive their sin. But if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go. Lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf the one that Aaron made. And here's the last point I want to make today. Point number five. Even in judgment, God 
is merciful. We see that Moses goes back up to the mountain, even as Christ ascended back up to heaven. There is another typology. He intercedes for the people, and God says, there will be some consequences for your sin. God says that he will visit their sin upon them and that there will be a plague. But what amazes me the most about this passage is that God says, I will lead the people to the place that I promised, and my angel shall go before them. So we see here that even while they are dealing with the consequences of their sin, God is still showing them mercy. Let me make some observations here. First, in thinking about God showing them mercy, mercy here, it should make us thankful that we serve a merciful God. Second, it should inspire us to show mercy to others. And third, it should call from some, for some introspection. Am I being merciful? Am I showing merciful mercy to others? Am I a merciful person? Sometimes in dealing with mercy as a person, I like to think as showing mercy to people as a bank. Every time when people have hurt me or people have done something to me and I know that I was on the side of justice and I know that I was right and I know that I was wrong and I choose to say, you know what? I am going to show mercy. I am making a deposit in the mercy bank. I never want to make a Venmo or a cash app or write a check on the mercy bank and it come back to me insufficient funds. Because even though that I know that his mercies I knew are new every morning, this Puerto Rican uses up all the allotted mercy for each day. And so I like to think of it as making a deposit because Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy, and mercy triumphs over judgment. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, we see how merciful God is. Because God is merciful and he will show us mercy. Paul writing to the Ephesian church says this, But God, who is rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead and our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved. Let me conclude with this today. Today we looked at how destructive idolatry can be. We also saw how holy God is. But in addition, we also saw how committed God is to his people. And so my challenge to you today, are there any areas in your life where God is dealing with you about idolatry in your heart? I know that as I was studying this text, there were areas in my life where I felt convicted. And I know that I need God's grace. 
I need his mercy and I need his power to help me grow in holiness every day. And I hope that you learn to decide to lean on him every day of your life so that you too can continue to grow in holiness. Um, before our brother plays the next song, I want you to know that Pastor Gene and I and the elders will be here to pray with you. If the Lord is dealing with you about any of these things, or if you came here today and you have not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we would love to pray with you and love on you and give you some materials and further instructions so that God would be glorified in your life. Would you stand with me so that we can pray? Oh, God, you are so faithful. You are so good. You are so holy. We are broken. We are weak. Our hearts are deceitful and desperately wicked. And we are so needful of you. So I pray as we enter into a time of worship, if anyone, Lord, is in need of you, or prayer, that they will not leave this place, Lord, without receiving ministry from you, without having someone pray for them. Be glorified in our lives and help us to rise up and live out the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and glorify you every day of our lives. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <laughs>